0: This is 680-CJOB.
1: This is the Blue Bomber Podcast with CFL Hall of Famer and my broadcast partner, Doug Brown. It was like a head-on car accident there. had to piggyback him, grab onto his waist as he pulled him kind of like a tractor pull there for a couple yards. You can play it safe. You don't have to take these risks and just nickel and dime your way down the field. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com.
0: Hey, hey, it's the Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown, and I'm Greg Mackling. And uh, Doug, I guess this is sort of our last podcast for the Blue Bomber season, but uh, you just told me we're going to maybe... Uh, sporadically. Sporadically yeah. engage with you on the internet uh, think, over the course of the next few months. Sorry,
1: sorry interrupted. you. Do you think our Anytime. producer will be playing in the background? It must have been love, but it's over now. That would be nice for our entire intro when we're talking about this football season
0: Jerry yeah. can you uh, can That'd you accommodate amazing. us thank yeah.
1: you very much and keep this bit in the yeah, in the podcast Yeah, too. keep
0: it right there. Perfect. Now that we've got our music, uh, Doug, <laughs> and uh, our bromance continues, it was an abrupt end last Sunday at IGF. Two teams with identical 12-6 and 6 records. Coming in, obviously got to 12-6 and 6 very differently, but at halftime, it was 10-10, two yards of total offense separating the two teams. Mike Riley was on his game, even though Matt Nichols' mobility was somewhat limited. He seemed to be finding his game and 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 Andrew Harris was running the ball efficiently and then boom what happened was it the, the fake, wheels came off was yeah. it the fake punt we you got know, like let's just what, go
1: right to the question what a tale of two halves though huh so oh, impressive no in the first half you're like these guys you know this is why we expected it to be a great game cuz they match up so well against Edmonton and uh uh, you know the stats at halftime as you alluded to totally reflected that right they were so evenly matched for a half of football at home I was like these guys really have a shot of pulling them Matt Matt Nichols look fantastic we We're worried about whether he's gonna make it through the game or not and you know He was on point he always has it's two playoff games in a row now granted two losing efforts But uh, he's been outstanding in uh, both his playoff games. He really dials in Andrew Harris was running just like a horse in this game, just beast mode the entire time. Uh, the defense was playing well, and then the wheels all fell off. And, you know, it's it's real easy just to say, you know, uh, it was 11-10 um, when this happened. And the, the yard line, was it 40 or 42? Yeah, I, I think they were at
0: their own 42-yard yeah. line. And it was just, I think for a lot of people – You know, you talk about risk-reward when you make decisions like this. Because Ed Tate and I talked about it in the halftime show. We figured it was going to either take a big play on defense by one team or the other. You know, a pick six or, or a decisive turnover that, you know, really turned the tide in terms of momentum. Or someone was going to have to have the gumption. To make a play that the other team didn't expect, and in this case, it just didn't work. But I want to ask you before we decide definitively whether or not it was the turning point, because a lot of people say it was, and maybe it wasn't. But was the reward even had it worked? Was it worth the risk?
1: A first down right? on that point that, in that the field—that would have been uh, that would have been the reward, right? As a first right. down, and and maybe a little bit more. Maybe crossing at best, you're maybe crossing midfield, right? And uh, you know, it could certainly inspire your team, I would say. Um, it might have led Winnipeg on a touchdown drive, but hey, they still had a ways to go. They might have gotten field goal range to to kick a field goal. But but you're right. At that point in the game, it's almost like it was a chess match, and then you just got uh coach Michael Shea just got over like got tired of waiting, you know. It was going back and forth. It was a seesaw battle, it was very closely contested. And then you just went all in. You know, it's like playing poker. I've done this before, playing poker. Yep. I just, I, can't, I, want, I want to lose. I just want to, you play playing these charity tournaments, right? And you're like, there's no way I'm going to win this and it's hand after hand, and, you know, I, I, my attention span wanes, right? And so I just start playing hyper-aggressive. I go, sometimes you win, though, that way, right? You you start going, you start bluffing like crazy. You got a, a two and a four offsuit well, in well, your you hand. Well, you start
0: playing like you've got nothing to lose.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's a good way to uh, to hasten your exit as a poker player. And I, I'm not saying, obviously, that that mentality was was embraced by a by head coach of a football team, but... Sometimes you believe your own your own stats and your headline, uh, you're too much, you know, in terms of being a, a special play genius and, and savant in, in that regard. And you're going to out scheme, you're going to put your stamp and your mark on this game and amend for any, you know, uh, calls you might have regretted from another year. But I don't think, I don't know, like I said, it was, uh, obviously, I would, you know, I, I don't think it was a great call. Uh, I don't think. I think if he was in the scenario again, he wouldn't do it. Um, even though Corey Watson, obviously, uh, the guy that that interrupted it, that broke it up, that, that made the play for behind. Edmonton. Yeah, for Edmonton, broke through. He said it was a good call, right? It just wasn't blocked up correctly is what Corey said. Hey, it was the right look for that, for that play. And it would have worked. Medlock, he said it was a good call. But Medlock they didn't block the it up well. yeah. yep. But here's the problem. It's not a good call if everybody on the line isn't on the same page, isn't hearing it, and don't execute it, right? Well, it so. reminds
0: me. It reminded me of that fake punt play earlier this season yeah. against BC, right? Yeah. When uh, well, well, as we
1: found out, that was all medlock, though, right? This of is course. very different. Of this course. Was,
0: was, well, a- except in the fact, and I'm not going to disagree with you, except I'm going to, <sighs> in that you're, you're saying the problem on Sunday was that not everybody was on the page they needed to be to do the job, and that's what happened in BC, right? It was that... Uh, Only a handful of the players on the field recognize that look. And well-coached teams, typically, everyone's on the same page. And I'm not trying to go down a road to suggest the Blue Bombers are not well-coached. That's not what I'm saying at all. But in that particular instance, you count on intelligent guys who spend a lot of time in the film study room on special teams. That's what they are... You know, really paid to do, and apparently not everybody was on the same yeah.
1: page. On this. All I'm saying is, if you're going to roll the dice like that, if you're going you to stick your neck sure, out right? to that degree, better hell have 110 percent of the guys on the same page, mm-hmm. communicating, understanding exactly. Eleven times you out cannot, of 10. you cannot have uh, uh, an execution error, right? On 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 a play like that in in that scenario. And uh, like you said, uh, the game wasn't over then, right? Obviously, Edmonton took the football and went in and scored. Although, and Mike, it was, it although was Mike
0: Riley would argue with you, right? He said, when we made that play yeah. and we immediately went in and scored a touchdown, that's when we knew. That's when we knew we had you know survived sort of the chess match and that we
1: were going to impose our will upon the other football team and that's exactly what happened. Well there there you go you know cuz i didn't hear that from Mike Riley but if he said that if your opposition said that that hey that was the turning point for us then hey you can argue all Debate you want over. you can you can argue all you want in the newspapers and and the fans and the players and the coach saying hey the game wasn't over that was just one play you can say that if you're in Winnipeg Sure. but if Edmonton The team that actually experienced and took advantage of that opportunity, if they're the ones saying, Yeah, that was kind of our turning point for the game, and that kind of buoyed us to victory and and spurred us forward, and we took, well, then guess what? Debate is over and closed. That was the turning point of the game. So um, for me, you know, I I wrote about it this week. It was. I thought obviously that was a, a bad call and uh, a set of circumstances. Very unfortunate that you know it, it wasn't executed properly. But for me, it, you know, we we talked about in previous podcasts about how in the playoffs the margins get smaller, get tighter, and and so therefore the the windows, your opportunities, everything gets magnified, right? Like uh, the mistakes you make in in the in the postseason get magnified; they they get a lot bigger. And the one vulnerability we've known about the Winnipeg Football Club defense for a couple years now, right, is uh, a lack of attention to detail. I would say in the back end, and, uh, Boy, and that's did, and that's what blew up, right? So that got exposed major.
0: You know, going into that second half, the Bombers hadn't given up any explosion plays in the first half. Yeah, they were very consistent in terms of getting some pressure on Mike Riley. In fact, they got to him on a couple t- times. Two and, of the last yeah. three plays of the half, it looked as though they'd solved the puzzle of the Edmonton offensive line. That the D line was going to maybe it was going to be consistent in the second half. Boy, oh, boy, we figured out how to get to Mike Riley. But what on earth happened in the secondary? Not once, not twice, but three times Edmonton receivers wide open. Like I'm talking like uh, Rosie Ruiz open in the Boston Marathon. You remember yeah. her? She took yeah. the she took the subway for most of the marathon and then just kind of jumped into the fray and then won the Boston Marathon. Nobody'd yeah. ever heard of her. Like that bad. Like somebody just jumped off the sideline and said, Hey, over here,
1: throw yeah. me the ball. How in the hell does that happen, Doug? You know, and it's funny because in any football game You know, here here's the problem. There's you you look at the road trees for receivers, right? there's a million different combinations you can do with four or five or six receivers right split on on both sides of the field uh, the different formations they have there's a million different routes
0: well try and win on, try and win on lotto 649 that gives you the idea
1: yeah. right they can they can run so many different you know Combos and, are immeasurable and I think what happened was I think Edmonton made an adjustment at halftime saying hey they're not going to be able to figure out they haven't seen this before or they're not reacting this way in their zone coverage so I understand it happening once in any football Game, even if it's the Grey cup of championship, you know, even though the cardinal rule of playing defense is don't let guys get behind you, kind of thing, it can happen once. Okay. Uh, what is not forgivable? Well, it, the fact that it was week what 21 or 22, and this is something that wasn't corrected at all throughout the year, but what isn't forgivable is that you kept playing you kept playing zone and these guys kept getting behind a second. You know, if you're a defensive coordinator and that happens once and, uh, you know, maybe maybe switch to a more man emphasis so at least you know you got a guy on everybody. If you're having trouble communicating in the back end in your zone and people are getting behind you and it happened once, you know, maybe maybe think about simplifying things, because these guys are having a hard time figuring out, you know, no, who's got you looked at the body language of the replay in the oh. end zone, it was like, do you you know, you could see the arms, and you could see the confusion, pointing at each other, pointing at themselves, like who had that, who had what, so you gotta, you gotta adjust, and you gotta react to how your players are responding in the game and I think that was the biggest failure of that game
0: Now I know our listeners are very intelligent, but for some that are you know, asking, you know, I thought man-to-man defense is more difficult to play I thought defenses, uh, defenses, and defensive coordinators like zone defense uh, because it, it, it can be—I uh, won't say easier to play—but there is uh, something that's a little bit more safe about it. Well, why? Why are you saying man-to-man is more simple defense? Because you have, keep, yeah. you have assignments. Yeah, an assignment, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's harder. And there's no switches going on, yeah. etc.
1: I mean, I, I think I've. Uh... I've done about three zone drops uh, in the course of an actual regular season game in my life. So by, by no you did means... back in coverage? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but by no means am I an expert in any way, shape, or form about coverages. But uh, you understand that uh, man coverage is more physically demanding because you have to stay... That's your guy. That's your assignment. you got to stay with him. Um, but zone coverages get interesting because there are all these rules that come with zone coverages in terms of who you have to carry when you drop this player. Like, meaning, when he comes into your zone, are you carrying him now? Is he your responsibility? For how long, and, and For and how long are we dropping? Right. Now there's multiple people entering your zone, right? So, so it's like a lot a- more complicated in zone coverage in terms of what your responsibilities because not only you have to know what you're doing and what you're responsible, for, but you have to know everyone else around you, and they have to respond and react the same way as you. Whereas, you know, obviously, uh, simplification of, w- of what we're explaining here, but in in man coverage, hey, this I've is got your, you. Yeah, and I got that's you. It. you. can still have safety help, right? In, right. In man coverage as well. So it's just to me, it just seemed like. uh Uh, a lack of a response or an adjustment when an adjustment alarm bell should have been going off and combine that with the fact that this was week 21 or whatever. And these guys still hadn't got a grasp on it, right? That left me to, to conclude only three things. Okay. Number one was that they didn't understand the coverages. Okay. Or they did understand the coverage, but in a limited Extent they didn't understand if a wrinkle was thrown at them that they hadn't studied or prepared for in film they didn't know how to adjust okay so that's option number one Uh, option number two is they do know uh, the responsibilities in zone and they just freelanced guys come guys don't always you know there's a saying in football you have to overcome your coaching sometimes so I had you know as a defensive lineman I had certain responsibilities but if I understood what was happening in front of me I could ignore that. I mean, you better make the play if you're going to ignore that. Okay. So it is possible that members in the secondary uh, weren't always disciplined in terms of what their assignments are. So it's possible they knew them. They they knew what their responsibilities were. Um, they didn't know how to uh, adjust or, or adapt. Uh, it's possible they knew what they were doing and they just chose to ignore it. And it's also possible... Um, that physically, like you could put me in in the simplest zone. Uh, the two or three times I actually, you know, got to drop from a nose tackle position. You just were incapable of doing the I had very limited responsibility. I think I had to. I, I can't remember because It was a long time ago. I, I took three steps towards the center uh, to to uh, make the quarterback think there was nobody in, in, in the shallow middle. I took three steps uh, towards uh, the center, so he thought I was going to engage him, and then I opened my hips to the boundary. And I settled five to seven yards for the line of scrimmage. I remember this, and I was trained to look for the shallow crosser coming. Uh, I think I was supposed to look boundary first, and then to field, and just to interrupt. I had no idea what would actually have happened if they tried. I mean, in practice, it was probably a massive pass interference when they when they tried <laughs> to connect with that shallow crosser coming a, a, across the middle. Uh, when I was there, I have no idea what, how this would have worked out in the game. But so very, very simplified uh, understanding of, of what your responsibilities are. So these things, you know, my, my last point was that the, the third possibility could have been, that no matter what was called, you know, then you don't have the physical ability to right. do something. Like So if I was you know, in, in a zone coverage, wouldn't matter who was coming into my zone or whatever, whether I knew it was my responsibility or not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to cover the guy, right? The matchup, so, whether
0: yeah. it was one-on-one or yeah. zone, just were not in the Blue Bombers' favor, and the Eskimos had personnel to overcome whatever
1: so the Bombers had put in place. Those are the, those are the place, three, right? three possible explanations, and, and each one uh, just lends to, hey... All three of them are kind of ugly, get right? Get out of this. Get yeah, out of this. Yeah. Simplify things. And at least you know make it easier for your guys because hey, we're seeing an instance right now where they're struggling with what's happening.
0: Well, and at least then you know whose fault it is when it all breaks down, which is <laughs> well, always I guarantee good you. Too, right?
1: <laughs> I guarantee you by now they know whose fault it is. But uh, you know that's that's a thing. It's almost better that way. The secondary is such a hard job, anyways. You know, it's uh, it's almost better that you know the the larger fan base doesn't have. Well, they are certainly pointing their fingers at some people, but there's no definitive. Well,
0: they're pointing their finger at one person in in particular, and he doesn't actually play on the field. In fact, he's typically, I think, up in the press box, in the spotter's box, taking a look at things, and that's defensive coordinator Richie Hall. Does this have to change?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I think uh, I like to take, I like to accept uh, Bob Irving's approach on this in terms of, you know, not speculating or making an endorsement or condemnation about someone's uh, uh, viability as uh, as to their employment, but... Um, it's a tough cost benefit now analysis to make on on that position and uh, it's a difficult analysis for sure in terms of the problems that have been systemic over a couple of years, the problems that have uh, materialized and, and stayed and, and the patterns and trends. I mean, you look at everything and it, it's hard to make a case. Um, for retention, but you know, uh, head coach Michael Shea, very little guy, so you, you never know what they're going to come up with. And obviously, they, they spend a lot of time talking too about the positives, and, and that's what you always do. Um, depending on your coaching style, you always look for that silver lining. And um, you know, if you want to speak about the positives of Richie Hall's defense in, in Bomberland, it's the fact that you know, his secondary, his uh, his back end had ability to ball hawk and, and take the football away. TJ Heath.
0: Maurice Leggett, Kevin Fogg, Chris Randall, all free agents. Now, when you have essentially the worst performing defense in the CFL and certainly of all the playoff teams, it's hard to argue that any, any player, any one player in that defensive dozen is someone that you just simply can't afford to lose, and, and that would be naive to go to that extreme and to say, oh, well, you know, there can't be anybody good on that defensive dozen, but we know that's not the case. Those four individuals are exceptional players in my mind. Do they have to keep? All four of those guys. So, like, where do they, you know? Like, that, that's where do the they
1: go? that's the contradiction of this defense, Isn't and it that's though? what annoys people. It's that you have players that are all star caliber that statistically acquit themselves very well, but yet they're also part of one of the worst defenses statistically in terms of uh, certain categories in, in in past defense. So that I think frustrates. So that's the enigma right there. That's what frustrates a, a huge percentage of the fan base. It's just like. How how do you have this man? I mean, what are three of them are all stars or something this three, year? Three yeah. are all stars, yeah. and yet you see, you know, the deficiencies they have in in the biggest game of the year. So, it's uh, it's real hard to wrap your head around because things when things don't make sense, you know, you got to blame somebody, right? And if the players are all stars, well, it goes up the ladder, I guess, in that regard. So, a real tough. I actually don't blame Mike O'Shea when he says. We need to sit down, I need to watch everything, I need to figure out. Obviously, I'm happy at least he's admitting that something needs to change uh, going forward. But for him to actually say, I don't know what that is yet, because we want to keep the good, get rid of the bad. But we need to understand why these two opposite ends of the spectrum are existing at once. It's like the twilight zone in the secondary, the Winnipeg Blue Bomber Football Club.
0: So... Mike O'Shea admitting that this is a hole in the team, but you've got no less than 19 players that are free agents. So a massive opportunity and a massive challenge all at once, speaking of uh, dichotomies, to uh, either find a way to keep the players that you want to keep because they will be able to test the free agent waters if they are so inclined, and the opportunity because you know if the Blue Bombers have... 19 free agents that means other teams have a plethora of free agents as well And so as we've seen in the past Ottawa Red Blacks prime example expansion team comes in and in in two years That they managed to put together a team certainly not with a dominant record, but one that managed to win a Grey Cup Uh, We know that it can be turned around rather quickly in Winnipeg But I guess the challenge is going to be figuring out the personalities The individuals, because there are different things at play in Winnipeg, too. Is is that still the case, do you think, in terms of guys that are active in the community and and guys that are good citizens and all that sort of thing? Uh, I know that when the Bombers weren't winning a lot of football games, that was a big deal. You could stick around because you were a good guy.
1: Is that going to play into it as much? You know, I I think the most important thing is to figure out Obviously, who your coaches are, uh, so what the schemes are going to be, because then you got to match players to that scheme, right? No scheme works. If you put me at, at safety or Sam linebacker, you're- No matter what, your scheme's not going to work, right? So you got to figure out, obviously, you got to start at the top and figure out uh, certain things. What coordinators, obviously, we know Paul LaPolice is going to be back. Need to figure out what's going to happen about the defensive coordinator position. Someone else comes in, that changes everything, right? Because depending upon what scheme they want to employ, what requirements they have, then you got to look at your free agent list and decide, hey, you know, get that coach to look and say, hey, I need these kind of guys in these kind of spots and these kind of attributes, right? What worked in a Richie Hall defense doesn't necessarily work in, say, someone else's defense, right? So it's different requirements. So I think you have to be real careful. I think you can sign, like we saw today, uh, two of the offensive linemen were retained by this group. That's because you know Paul LaPolice is going to be the offensive coordinator. you got to be real careful. Yeah, Patty Neufeld and... And uh, uh,
0: Jamarcus Hardrick, uh, both re-upping with the team.
1: you got to be real careful if you re-sign a bunch of defensive guys... Unless you know who your coordinator is gonna be, because a new guy can come in and, and may not have the same valuation for those guys that, that one system does. So I, I think first and foremost, first thing that has to be done is you gotta solidify those positions, understand the implementation of those schemes, and then address your free agent players accordingly. And like and like you said, I think that's a great point. People get nervous when you have so many free agents. But then you have so many opportunities as well. You know, you're able to do a cost-benefit analysis on all your guys, and uh, okay, this guy didn't work out. This guy did. We're keeping this core right here. you have the opportunity to upgrade every single position almost because there's so many free agents from so many teams. It's going to be a, a merry-go-round of, of different guys filling different roles on, on different football teams. And uh, this is where uh, your general manager, your scouts, and your head coach, they really earn their money now because they got to tinker to elevate this team and take it to the next level. So what positions can we upgrade? What positions do are we happy with the, the level of play that we're getting from? And we got to resign those guys. And
0: when you see a team that's taking steps every year, sometimes there's that inclination to kind of stand pat, right? But we know of all the, of all the organizations in the CFL, the, the team that makes Typically, a lot of the biggest changes are the Calgary Stampeders. They are not afraid to make changes and to tinker. They let Stanley Bryant walk away. They will cut players. uh, The old saying of uh, cutting him, the Wally Buono sort of philosophy, I'd rather cut him a year early than hang on to him a year too long. That sort of thing is very prevalent with Huffnagel and the Stampeders. But the the Blue Bombers are going to have to kind of get out of that idea, right? That that consistency is your best friend and, and continuity is something that that you have to look at. I think at this point, all bets are off in yeah, you terms can't, of who they're going to bring. You in.
1: can't play it safe whatsoever. One of my favorite sayings in in pro football um, is, "If you're not getting better, you're getting worse." Sure. Right. If you're just staying status quo and you're just you're happy or let's play it safe, people are passing you by. Right. Because everyone has their core. And what you do is consistently look at where you can and where you have the opportunity to upgrade, and you have to keep getting better. You know, even if you won a championship, everyone else is chasing you and making moves to get up to your level next year. Right? You can never stay status quo. I think that was one of the, one of the issues we ran into in the early two uh, thousands, where you know we had a fourteen and four squad in two thousand one, two thousand two, we we're twelve and six. And then we were 11-7, and and then the wheels came off kind of thing, right? Because uh, there wasn't as an aggressive approach. We're so close. We're so close. Yeah, we're just like, you know, you need to always get after it and be aggressive and have competition and always be pushing your roster to elevate.
0: Okay, we've got a couple games this week that will determine who's going to the Grey Cup. Saskatchewan, Rough Riders, Toronto, Argonauts. BMO Field is not going to be a ghost town. As we speak, well over 20,000 tickets have been sold for that game. So good on Toronto for doing that. Good on, uh, you know, the fans of the <laughs> CFL. You're choking over there, Doug. I I hope it's uh, I was not...
1: allergic to reaction to what you were saying. <laughs> uh, it's unnatural for my body to hear these things.
0: Well, absolutely unnatural. But it appears as though they're going there is going to be some at- atmosphere at BMO field this weekend. Uh, are the Saskatchewan Rough Riders going to represent the Eastern division? I in the sure League hope Cup?
1: not. I don't want, oh, it just sickens me to think if they are like breaking history and rewriting the pages of, oh, the first crossover team to do well, this. Who else and, would it be? Oh my God. I just, I, I've never been such a big, I've never cheered for Toronto in my life, but I will be against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders because I do not want, I'll hear for the rest, we'll probably hear, you know, until the next season about about the the record breaking, you know, Saskatchewan Rough Riders crossing over and and uh, rewriting the pages of like I just, redefining the Canadian uh, Football League, etcetera. Uh, yeah, etc. Yeah,
0: they had a rough start and oh yeah, we did what a Cinderella better than you. Story, we went you know. around and around of the blue bars. I
1: already can't stand it and it hasn't even happened okay, yet. Toronto. So go Toronto. <laughs>
0: and uh the Edmonton Eskimos are going to the Great Cup again, aren't they?
1: You think so, huh? Yeah, I do. I don't know, you know I have a lot of respect for Calgary and and what they've done and uh you have to think they're going to snap out of it. You know, let's put it this way. If Calgary's playing their best football, uh I think I think they'll go to how the great Cup. That but switch? if they but if they continue to to obviously play along the lines of of the way they close the season, then uh yeah, they don't have a hope in hell against Douglas, Edmonton. How do so.
0: they flip the switch? They haven't won a game in a month.
1: Yeah, it's true, but they have they have some time to regroup. They have the opportunity uh, with film study and and so on and so forth, and uh, getting guys healthy and 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 refreshed. They have an opportunity playing at home. Trust me, and because now they have a chip on their shoulder, right? Like they're not. You can already see the odds. You know, people have already counted them out. People have dismissed them, and uh, I don't think Calgary Stampeders are ever a team you dismiss. I think uh, Edmonton has every right to be favored right now, but it's still a very tough place to go into, and uh, if. Calgary can figure out a way, they, they can certainly win that game.
0: I'm going to take a look at the weather in Calgary because uh, I know Doug Flutie's not playing and he was really not very good in those cold weather games historically. Uh, Bo Levi Mitchell uh, hasn't had that, oh look at that, six degrees is the forecast high. For Sunday in Calgary, so
1: that's th- pretty warm. That's I, pretty optimal I, conditions this time of year. I think for, that helps Calgary quite yeah, frankly yeah, for because sure. uh Bole We Levi saw how Mitchell, they played in the snow. That's for sure. Yeah, but they certainly. Didn't granted, Bo Levi wasn't involved. In that so are game, we
0: but. gonna? Are we gonna? Are, are we going to agree on Calgary?
1: I'll take Calgary. I have no problem taking Calgary. Okay. Um, you take Edmonton. I'm taking yeah, Toronto. I'm, I'll take, are you going to take, take Saskatchewan?
0: No, know how to chance in your life, buddy. Oh. I would never pick Saskatchewan for anything, anytime, anywhere, any No
1: matter wow. what, even if the opponent didn't show up, you wouldn't take Saskatchewan? No, I would
0: take the push. I'm glad or we're what, like-minded what, there. Whatever it would be. All right, Doug, uh, let's take a, a break, and uh, maybe we'll catch up after the Grey Cup. And uh, we want to thank everyone for tuning in, downloading, sharing, subscribing to the Blue Bomber podcast. Podcast featuring
1: Doug
0: Brown.
1: The Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at CJOB.com. This is 680 CJOB.